Welcome, everybody, to Fourth Times the Charm. The only podcast for every week is a brand new podcast concept. But that's not important right now. What is important is that Matt and I just found out that they're making a Japanese remake of the one of our favorite B-horror movies, Cube. And we just found the trailer for it. Matt, when was this posted? Uh, this was posted on In February. February. And we missed how've, it. How have we missed this? I cry because it's a Jap- It's going to be a Japanese movie. That's because we have a Western sphere. Ninety thousand twenty-eight people know about this before us, and, and no least. one talked about it. I didn't. I didn't hear this mentioned anywhere. I'm, I'm shook. The I just quick side tangent before we watch this. Part of the reason that uh, I love the Cube movie so much than I compared to when I did originally was they were one of those like blockbuster finds. Uh, and I fell in love with it as a younger kid. And then when I met Ben, we were watching movies one night. We put on the first one. Ben, how, you enjoyed it, I think. Oh, yeah. It was great. I enjoyed it for multiple reasons. And you enjoyed it so much, we watched all three of them that night. And it was worth it because the Cube movies are awesome. All three of them are awesome. And I am very trepidatious about a remake. So now we've gone from Cube to Cube 2, but it looks like Cube Squared to cube zero and now we have cube all caps are you ready matt oh it's cube two hypercube ben yes cube two hypercube all right it's important. Ready, i'm ready all right three two one play i wish i knew what all this said all right this is not translate that makes it harder yeah it's not okay but it looks right it yeah, looks like it's it looks the exact very same similar. script the cube looks different enough. They have the shoe. They're throwing the shoe. All right, the codes. I mean, everything's in here so far. Yeah, it actually looks a lot closer than I expected it to. So it actually looks like, you know, man, how in the mid 2000s, Hollywood had a fascination with taking Asian horror movies and remaking them like six months after they come out. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, that was great. It looks like this is role reversed. But more than 10 years later yes but more than 20 years later i yeah. am extremely interested in that and i'm I, I i'm curious to see what the japanese mindset on it is because you know yep. you think of japanese culture and how you're stuck in cubicles and office spaces I, i'd be curious to see if like that type of angle and that type of rigidness in japanese culture influences how the story progresses at all. Yeah, I think it might. I think, I mean, from that perspective, someone, maybe the director of this movie, um, I'm going to let you say his name so I don't sound terrible saying it. His name is... Shioko Mizui? Sure. I, I don't see where it's listed, so... Oh, sorry. It's in the description of the video. I have to want, I have to expect that the director, Hash, Hashiko Mizui, uh, might have like fallen in love with this movie like the original from the from 97 and decided no 97 it literally says on the screen here 1998 release on 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 imdb it says 1997 i don't care enough maybe it was released in 98 in japan maybe who knows oh man the second one came out in 2002 Ooh. Yeah, so this uh, this looks exciting. I think it's going to be like a shot-for-shot shot remake almost. They probably won't have the Blue Room guy to the same level. I don't think that'll translate. No. 
But they'll I do bet, something similar. I bet it'll be some, like, really insular otaku kid who doesn't talk at all. Yeah, maybe it's, like, a, like a 15-year-old or, like, a 12-year-old who doesn't speak. Hmm. I want to go to the blue room, Matt. I want to go to the blue room, Ben. Well, welcome, everyone, to Fourth Times the Charm. This week's podcast was originally going to be one thing, but I've been busy going to far, far, far too many wrestling shows. And yes, so instead of talking about wrestling on the podcast, I've just been going to them and taking them in. And Matt, I got to say, I mm-hmm. don't know if I've ever had more of a uniquely enjoyable wrestling experience than I did yesterday. I went to New Japan Pro Wrestling, had two events that they promoted in the U.S. in the Los Angeles area over this past weekend. Wow. One of them was like was essentially like a pay-per-view style event, which had okay. a lot of crossover with AEW with the likes of John Moxley and Lance Archer. But then on Monday, they had they taped three weeks of television. For their what? New Japan Strong program. Okay. Is and that their is that that's their weekly show? That's their weekly American show. Okay. So ever since COVID happened, their American branch was essentially dead. So they revitalized it by taping this show called New Japan Strong. It has a lot of crossover with other promotions like the NWA, uh, JR Kratos. Uh, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Jarrell Nelson. Name. Yeah. So they have a lot of guys from the NWA. They have some guys from Impact showing up. Okay. Uh, at the taping yesterday, Wheeler Yuta, who's been seen a ton in AEW, he wrestled Jay White on the show. Ooh. And the insider baseball on New Japan is that a bunch of their top, what Japanese uh wrestling culture refers to foreigners as gaijin yep apparently the gaijin are sick to death of traveling back and forth between japan and the u.s and having to quarantine for two weeks every time which means that all of a sudden the show that's using what a lot of people consider to be like castaways from other big promotions all of a sudden now you have will osprey jay white showing up on the show oh wow yeah and what made this great is that they were taping it. And I think the studio that they've been filming the shows without fans. Okay. But because they were having fans here now, they could only fit in about a hundred people. Oh, so because the limitations of the venue, like the size, because of the limitations of the venue. So it's a, it was at the thunder studios, which is at essentially a, it's an esports theater. Oh, cool. That's actually really cool. So literally when the wrestlers are leaving, they go behind a curtain and you see this giant gaming station they're walking past. Oh, wow. That's badass. I wonder what, I wonder what games are played there. But what's really badass is that because it was so small, you're still seeing some of the best wrestlers in the world. So because they had the bigger event on Saturday in this 124-seat venue, I got to see Hiroshi Tanahashi who's essentially the Japanese John Cena, almost single-handedly saved New Japan Pro Wrestling from going under in the mid-2000s. I got to see him wrestle in front of 100 people. 
That's ins- that is oh I'm jealous. You have no idea how jealous I am of that. I got to see Tomohiro Ishii wrestle a singles match in front of 124 people. Tomohiro Ishii, who many people consider to be the best wrestler on planet Earth today. And I watched him wrestle a singles match in front of almost no one. Oh, so front row seats right on the ramp where they're coming out. It's an elevated ramp. So I was able to rest my arm on the ramp and the camera, the camera was on us the entire length of the show. You could have touched his feet. Well, I, well, I would, but I didn't want to get bit stone pipple one for one. But, I mean, it was so intimate that, like, I started maybe a fifth of the chance or the claps. <laughs> That's incredible. For the show. It was so much fun. And what's really special about it, and honestly, I enjoyed it more than PWG, Pro Wrestling oh, wow. Gorilla, which out here is the big um, sort of bougie wrestling where they bring in international stars from around the world to wrestle. Because in PWG, everyone's trying to impress you because they're Mm -hmm. not making a ton of money. Yeah. (laughs) This is their chance to get discovered. And that's awesome. But when every single match is over 20 minutes long, Mm -hmm. you're sort of desensitized by the end. This show, there was one match that went over 15 minutes. And that's fine. There wasn't really enough room for people to do any big dives. Oh, really? They like to get outside? Right, but that's okay. okay because everyone had the fundamentals down so well that they were just able to keep rolling with it. Oh, so they just adapted perfectly to the setting. They really made... did, yeah. And I thought it was a great place to discover people. There okay. is uh, the Dirty Daddy, Chris Ooh. Dickinson. Okay, I've heard his name before, but I hadn't seen him in a singles match until the show i went to last night and he just brings this energy it's not a manic energy but he just has this burning intensity inside him when he goes to the ring and his biceps are the same size as his skull oh geez. and he just yells and i'm like yeah i believe this man <laughs> He, he instills perfect uh, confidence in his in his character. So that's why you're getting this podcast today. Boom, is that is. I went to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and this is going to be a lot easier to put together. Matt, what do we have on deck today? Today we're doing another episode of Writer's Room. Writer's Room is a podcast where we take some random themes from a number or like a wheel that Ben spins up, and we take those themes and we make a script about it. We've got 30 minutes from the moment we have all of our our quantities to pitch a full movie we got to try to go beginning middle and end um if we can we're going to assign actors um directors maybe a writer um probably going to do a direct writer director thing it's easier and it's usually kind of cool um and we're going to go from there now what, ben, what, what i want to suggest matt okay i'm ready is how about so we have one picker wheel that's genre i think the other picker wheel should be someone you must include in the film. So like we an have actor or an actress. So we have six directors already. Okay. I want to include actors, actresses, anyone who could be a, a major part of a movie. What do you think about that? 
I'm ready for. I got a couple. I can. I can. I can. All right. Well, let's rattle a few off here. Rob Bottin. Yep. For effects work, Nicholas Cage. Yep. Because he's Nicholas Cage. Ryan Reynolds, because he's hot right now. Yep. Uh, John Cena. Of course. Uh, Florence Pugh. She's a fantastic actress, and uh, I think you I think mean she... Florence. Ugh. Um. Ooh, hold on, hold on. I got a, I got a good one. Uh, we got to do Millie Bobby Brown. Get that younger audience in there. Jake Paul. Yeah, Jake Paul. <coughs> I agree. I'm a hundred percent there with you. Um, Alfred Hitchcock as an actor. And uh, let's wrap it up. I have 14 now. Let's wrap it up with Max Landis. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So, Matt, I have a timer here. Timer oh. courtesy of Google. Thank you, Google. It's going to start at 30 minutes. But first, we have our two picker wheels. We have 12 genres to pick from. Action, adventure, comedy, drama, horror, thriller, sci-fi, Italian, new wave, Mm-hmm. A romance, Western parody, and pornography. Wait, what? Hold on. <laughs> what? I I don't want to pitch a porno movie, Ben. Uh, Matt, it's on the list. I can't take it off. I think you. I think you can. I think we can no, omit. Th- no, it'd be no, a wild. If if we roll pornography, it's a wild card. It's it, Matt. I can't change it. Anyway, on the other wheel, uh, on the other wheel, since pornography is an option, I'm going to include Gangrel, the wrestler, because he also directed pornography. All right, that's 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 the that's the ultimate timeline. Okay, great. So on our individual wheel, we have Taika Watiti, John Carpenter, the Kyoto Brothers, who directed uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, yep. Alejandro Jabrowski. Gaspar Noel, <laughs> yep. Guillermo del Toro, Rob Bottin, Nick Cage, Ryan Reynolds, John Cena, Florence, Blech, Millie Bobby Brown, Jake Paul, Alfred Hitchcock, the actor, Max Landis, and of course, Gangrel. The person. <laughs> yeah, Gangrel, not the comic book character. Although, Gangrel the person now owns the rights to Gangrel the comic book character. Ooh. Yeah, okay. it took him like two decades, but I finally got it. So Matt, are you ready? Which one do you want to spin first? Uh, I think we should spin the must include first. Here we go. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Spinning. And we are getting. We must include. It's gonna be. Oh wow! There was there was a lot of music that just entered my headphones. Oh that no! Was really disturbing. Uh, Florence Pugh. Oh hell yeah! All right, so at least we have a good actress in our movie. So Matt, what is, what is Florence known for here for the audience? Uh, she she gave an amazing performance in Midsummer, which was uh, where I first saw her. Um, she also was in the 2019 version of Little Women, which was actually a pretty good movie. It made a ton of money as well. Uh, she's the black, she's the new Black Widow. Um, I got technically spoilers for Black Widow, but she's going to be the Black Widow character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. Um, and she was in a, a 2014 film when she was younger called The Falling. She's just a really uh, intense, visceral actress. Um, great ability to adapt to different kinds of roles, both. And she does a great job of like showing like 
really visual intensity. She's a very good, like, on-screen crier. She's very good at that kind of experience, especially in Midsummer. Awesome. Midsummer was very good. It's time for the genre. Oh. And once we get the genre, I will begin. Are you ready, Matt? I'm prepared. I have I have hopes and, and are, great fears. We are spinning the wheel, making the deal. Oh, here we go. Wow. Okay, Matt. What do we get? What do we get? Romance. Ooh, Starting in three, okay. two, one, start. Okay, I got so I have an idea, like right okay. off the bat for like a general kind of like plot idea. It's not a whole idea. We can we have to fill it out. But here's my original idea. Um, so I had a dream the other night uh, where I the, this kind of plot came from. A couple are together and they're like enjoying like a week away in their one of their hometowns, but they're staying somewhere separate from their from their family. And while they're in town, this very strange person shows up who's kind of like psychotic. But this whole time, the entire plot and layout is just like a family loving relationship between Florence Pugh and another actress. And then as the plot goes on, the Florence Pugh's character starts to become somewhat fascinated by this weird character. And... At some point, they follow her into a building, the, both the couple, Florence Pugh and her partner, and they go through a door, and as soon as they step out the other side, a year has passed, and the two people together have no idea what happened. And then everything from there is an escalation in mystery while they fight to maintain their relationship and use the power of their love and connection to each other to uh survive each of the escalating incidents that occur isn't that more of a thriller that's a romantic subgenre it's an adventure romance okay so it sounds a little more thrillery than i was expecting well, I, but okay I think, I think you could shift it. i think you just don't make it that scary it you make it more whimsical almost like a alice in wonderland kind of feel um, but it's I, like an I exploration like, of love. I prefer the I, thriller, but we'll keep I, 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 I sort of like the exploration of love concept. I yeah. I imagine that the weird person is to stand for like some issue they have in their relationship. Yeah, or, or, think... or like or like a, it's like a test of their relationship. Yeah, I've been like... playing uh, It Takes Two okay. with my fiance on uh, PlayStation. And it's a similar sort of concept where they're essentially kidnapped by the book of love okay. that, makes, oh, that forces okay. them to work together to solve puzzles. And so it's an asymmetric multiplayer game, but it's that same idea of like building on their relationship. So I feel like if you switch that over to being more like a modern interpretation of like a biblical test of their love. Yeah, I like, well, okay, we, we have to, well, if we want to make sure... Yeah, no, I I think that's it. I think you're right, Ben. No, never mind. I was gonna I was gonna go a different direction, but I I feel confident in your decision making. We, if you want, we could even go into like a Wizard of Oz thing, where it's like, well, I think I think it's more else because I I envision the part where they're going through these like magical tribulations. It's still foundation based in the real world. So they're not like it, in, but it's like a weird version of the real world, kind of like Coraline, 
mixed with Alice in Wonderland to keep it so, you know fun. So okay, depending on how you want to like how deep you want to go into it, we could do a James and the Giant Peach where it starts out live action and then goes into animated. Mm. I probably mm. not, I'm just throwing it out there. I think that'd be cool, but, but probably not for this. No, I think I think if this was a straight up horror movie, I think that would be really rad. But I think as a well, okay, actually, if this is a Disney movie, and or like a Pixar movie about a cup about a lesbian couple, and like this is their like instance of actually like stepping forward and being really progressive with their filmmaking. I think that could work as the animation, as the, with the animation flip. So it's it's really ironic you say this because have you seen Luca, the new Pixar movie? Not yet. I've heard a little bit about it, but no. It's okay. Well, you what you just said. You should watch Luca. Oh, is it good? It. I think it's a really good movie, but it's just funny that you're talking about them talking about gay characters and how far they're willing to push it like Luca has a lot of allusions to things that they never outright say. But it's just funny that like you caught that. Oh, like I, I'm, I'm on the pulse. I'm on the pulse yeah. of America, Ben. No. Okay. So then for since in the same sake of time, this won't be a Disney movie. We won't do the flip. I want Florence Pugh's acting to be fucking on display in this film. I agree. It's gotta be, now, it's gotta be, incre- we need an incredible director. Okay. We need so, an incredible director. So here, let's let's find our basic framework of the story. We want it okay. to end where they're back to normal. Was it a dream? They love each other, right? Yep. Yeah. They end like their their love for each other is completely affirmed. Since it's a romance movie, we needed to have a happy like we are now stronger together than we ever were divided type of moment. Or nothing. Or or at that moment where it's like nothing can stand in the way of our love, no matter what. Right, I agree. So my question then is, I feel like there needs to be a conflict in the relationship that sends them down the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole. I think it might be Florence Pugh's infidelity. I was I was about to say, I feel like infidelity would be a really good one there. Mm-hmm. And then the story becomes about her like making amends for that. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I think almost I, like a like a sexy Dante's Inferno, but not at all. Kind no, I kind of like it. Not sexy, but like a like a <laughs> yes Dante's Inferno, like a Dante's Journey, right. um, except for like Vigil is evil, or like I get depends. Do we make the weird character a good person or a bad person? I have a I, ca- mean, I have could, a casting for that character, so we could. <laughs> We could ape a uh, girl on the third floor with CM Punk where it's sort of like a catfish to represent something bigger. Like, so the character's not really bad or good. Yeah. The character more is like preying on her, uh, on her infidelity. Ooh. Yeah. Like, Oh, maybe. Yeah. So she can be maybe like a magical character, like, like trying to like get something out of Florence Pugh's character. I I don't even think it's trying to get something out of the character so much as it's like, as like, you know, Hey, I'm exposing you. 
Oh, okay. Like, it's with, like toying with her and like. Yeah, like that's what leads her down the rabbit hole, pretty much. Is like, hey, you want some of me hot stuff? Yeah. Oh, I, I, well, I think, I think what would happen is, like, in the scene, I can kind of like where, um, this character, like people in town have noticed this character. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanted, uh, I'd cast it as uh, Fiona Dorif. She was in uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Um, she's been in other stuff, but that's the only thing I've seen her in. She, oh, she's going to be in the new Chucky movie, T- Chucky TV series. Yeah, she, okay, she's going to be in the new Chucky TV series. We'll talk about that later. Um, but the, I think the crazy character is uh, Fiona Derbeuf. I don't know if you know who she has been, but she is a tremendous actress. And she plays a kind of wild, off-kilter character in Dirk Gently. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember her. Yeah, great. So she she's this crazy character, and she's... Uh, who do you think should be Florence Pugh's partner? So, okay, so the other direction we could go in... Okay. Is... She's, like, the kooky type. What about Summer Glau? Ooh, what? Who is Summer so Glau? She was the female Terminator in the Terminator TV series, and she was also in Firefly. If you look her up, she's, like, real like femme fatale level and she just turned 40 so she's would sort of serve as like the well what do we want the as like the is like the mature kind of uh mature like oh i am the uh, ultimate machination creator whatever whatever oh so so she's like the big bad at the end of the story I, I'm not necessarily the big bad, but I think, I mean, honestly, if you look at Fiona Dorf and Summer Glau, like there's a real difference between the two in characters. Yeah. Well, Summer I... Glau's because Summer Glau is literally always like a robot, like a sexy robot or sexy. I don't know where I am or sexy. She could, she I don't know. Play, Summer Glau could play like a fantastic, like queen of the fae. Like a like a character like the leader of like a like an actual like deep lore based like Elvin slash um, like Feywild group that's actually could be like the ones mystically manipulating things they always did that to humans in folklore. Ooh, I like that. Okay, Almost yeah. giving it like a modern Midsummer Night's Dream Ooh, vibe. And f- Flor- um, uh, Fiona Duroff is like Puck. And she's chosen Florence Pugh and Florence Pugh's partner as like a, maybe almost like a performance for the fake court. Yes, I like that. But then it's Florence Pugh who is, who needs to like break away from that. She's, yeah, she, she, she's been caught by Puck's spell. And her partner, who I will cast as Garis Marnillier. Uh, she's a fantastic actress. She was the star in the movie Raw, um, which was like such a captivating and real straightforward performance. She's also French. Um, so we get a little bit of different diversity. I, I don't know if she speaks English very well. I assume she does. And I think she'd be a fantastic casting. Bring, bring her into like put her next to an actress like Florence Pugh and let her really like show her range in an american movie this would have like a semi-large budget well i i also like the fact that there is a bit of a language barrier there between the two yeah which like instantly creates a wall between the characters yeah and 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 fiona (coughs) dorf has like a very american accent like she does like new york kind of gruff well 
So I think she like doing the kind of like lyrical speaking style of a character like Puck against like uh like, like you said like a semi broken English with an accent could be so, a really really so fun. How about this? How about it's it opens with these two characters on a drive and it's a very cold drive that's juxtaposed against this beautiful countryside and it's basically them trying to repair their relationship and so they're going on not not like a boca getaway mm-hmm. but them on like a oh we're gonna go to like a nice small town or maybe it's the town where one of them's from and yeah i think it's, it's one gonna, of them from yeah one of one of their hometowns and we're gonna get this back on track after you slept with Janice or whatever. Yeah, insert other person here. Yeah. So from there we have a few really awkward scenes. I like to imagine it's just a very simmering tension. Yeah. We don't we don't really directly address it. You get the stares and eyes from family. Or from uh, the neighbors who see them because it's a small town. Everyone knows everything. And we're just yeah. waiting for that to pop. Yeah, right? there's just like the, that, that floating tension. L- literally that first like 20 minutes of the movie. Just yeah. building up that tension and that coldness and that isolation. But but we we, we still hammer in that they the love they have for each other. Yes, I think, during abs- that. absolutely. It's like yeah. this underlying no. tone above everything. Right. Like, I, I think there everything. should. I think there should be an up and down. I think that there should be a scene where you really feel the love and tenderness between them. Of course. And yeah. then and then immediately after that, there's a dinner scene. And I don't know if it'd be better, just like a restaurant to make it public. Or at like a family dinner, probably not family dinner because that adds no. too many variables. But at uh, like a fancy restaurant dinner in town, like the fanciest place in town. Yeah, like like oh, they, like there's just trying there's to surprise just, her with a night out. They're they're at the dinner, and then there's just one small thing that they start arguing on. Okay. One small, just insignificant thing, but they keep dwelling on it. They keep dwelling on it. And then all of a sudden, we're talking knockdown, drag out, screaming fight at each I, other I in think, this restaurant. I love. I think. In, I think this scene, the fight before it really kicks off is when, um, for uh, uh, Fiona Dorf's character shows up, and she like says something. She like, like is like like right before this in this this thing really kicks off, like she just like walks by or like like kind of like bursts into the room and like either ends the tension, like breaks the tension in that scene of them, like building and building and building and yelling and getting madder and madder and madder. Then Fiona DeVorf's character shows up and like, it snaps the tension away. And you're like, you're and it's like the camera like cuts and it's a fucking weird introduction. Like comes in singing a song or something or direct goes right up to them. So I, I agree in a way, but I like what you were saying earlier about, like, she's just there, you know, as sort of like a tease. I'd really like to see while they're going throughout their day that uh, I'm just going to call her Puck, that we see Puck, like, throughout town. And it starts out where she's just in the background. Cameron doesn't even focus on her. And as time goes on Mm -hmm. and as Florence notices her, 
she becomes more and more visible on screen. And I still agree that, like, it would be something like, oh, she dropped a fork and her girlfriend wants her to get another fork because it's dirty, but she doesn't care. And that's what, like, starts it. But it would be Puck who would accidentally knock it on the floor and go, oh, sorry, and sexily hands it over and walks away. I, I, but I think as like a puck like character, they have to. They, I, I imagine this character as kind of like strange, even for t- even the town. I agree. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Like, but, so but it, still, it wouldn't just be like, like, but it'd be but something still alluring in a way. Yeah. Well, it's it's that it's the like, I guess hot strangeness. Like you see male characters play it where they're like aloof and off, kind of off putting. But there's like something just so fascinating about them. Like they have they have this like sense of adventure and like infinite possibility um, that drags them drags the infidel in I was said infidel character. Um, the oh the, my god, we only have 13 minutes left. Okay, it, it drags Florence Pugh <laughs> away, and she's attracted to it. All right. Uh, we so are, so so this they is have good. an we're argument. In the fir- we're in the first twenty-five minutes of the movie. Got it. But but I also feel like this is the main part, right? Yeah. This so, is where you build the relationship. Cause, cause, Everything cause is the we, payoff. Because we know where it ends. We know that it ends with her rejecting the fairies, and I'm assuming some daring escape with her girlfriend, right? Like yeah. like that's where we want to end up. I I feel like after the restaurant scene, big blow up, and then one of them. R- runs away and and i'm assuming it would probably be her girlfriend runs away and then she's allured by puck outside mm-hmm. the restaurant and that's what brings her into the forest so they're split up physically now yeah they're they're, they're it's the first time in, it's the, like probably the first time in the movie they're actually separated from each other the, for my any question, extended period of time my question is that you know we know that by essentially the climax that that they're going to have mended enough do mm-hmm. we want this middle 40 50 percent of the movie to be an individual journey for florence or do we want it to be a couple's journey because i think it should sort of be a couple's journey i think it's a couple i don't think you see um grace merlier and florence Pugh's characters separated until that the end of that movie like they just happen to be together like they don't like each of the tasks endeavors to separate them, and then the only the only time they ever actually fully separate is when one of them decides to run. So then, so then, who runs away here? Is it Florence who runs away, or is it uh, Marnier? I think it's Marnier, and I think it's it's not like a runs away. It's like a they were told to leave, and and she's like, let's get out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And Florence just kind of won't do it. She won't comply. See, see, I I think it's... I like the idea that Florence goes after her. Because I, I think that, you know, if... Because we're revealing the bombshell that she cheated on her, right? I think mm-hmm. we need a little brightness so that we don't completely write off the character as an asshole. So I feel like okay. if... if uh, French lady, I'm sorry about your name. You should be uh, the one who can say it. Yeah, but we have 11 minutes left, and I already okay. forgot her name. Uh, I wrote it I f- down. I feel like if she's the one who runs away, she goes into the forest, and yeah. then Florence oh, goes no, no, total, in Oh, no, total Dante vibe. She gets on a boat on a river. Sure, yeah. She's like, I need my own time now or whatever, and she goes. 
Um, and then we, we end up, so Florence chases after, we end up in the forest. So yeah. how does, how does Puck get involved then if they're going to stay together until the end of the movie? So, so this is what happens. So they, in the beginning, the first, I'll say, this, this is like a long movie. This is a two and a half hour movie. Uh, it's a two and a half hour romance movie. It's an epic. Um, cause I, I don't care. The first hour of the movie or the first 45 minutes is the rising tension at 20, the 25 minute mark. There's this big blow off scene that, cl- that kind of climaxes. And that's when we meet, uh, Fiona Dorf. She kind of like takes them to this like point where they're like, they blow up and she's just kind of around. Like that's when the first time we really get to meet her. She, you've seen her in the background doing the stuff you said earlier. And we meet her. They blow up, and then at one point, she's trying to to seduce Florence Pugh to follow her on some, like, journey. And Florence Pugh is like, I I know, I can't do this again. Uh, And, like, Fiona's like, don't worry, it won't be like that. And she starts to get convinced, and then um, uh, Gournice Marlillier shows up, and they kind of both follow her. She's like, if you're going to do this, I'm coming too, or something. And they both follow her that we hit that time jump where they experience, they experience a year of lost time and end up back in their like family home and everyone's there. And that's when the trials really start. Like they I, walk I, out their front door instead of the streets, like a gondola. I, 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 I like that. I like the idea that, that, you know, French lady goes to be sad for a bit. Mm-hmm. She's seduced by Puck. Yep. French lady comes back and, and she's like, oh, what the fuck is this? And it's like, no, no, no. You know, uh, Puck just wants to, you know, uh, j- was just worried about us, you know. And she said she has a party coming up in, in force. That'd be cool. And I yep. like to imagine there's like this drug scene, essentially, where they get high as fuck. Mm. I don't, I, I like I, to, I don't want I, that to happen. I think that's how the first trial starts. I well, I, I feel like something needs to happen to incapacitate them, and all of a sudden, a year's passed. I, I know. I want. See, see. I envision this as Eight a a hard cut. It's not like a we build up to that like that intensity, that like drop. It is like they follow her through a door, like a walkway in the woods, and then pop. Like it is a it is a hard cut to that oh, them sure. walking. Yeah, out. I can I like, can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I like that. It's like a short distortion. You see a little bit of like wavy lines on the screen, maybe to imply that something magical happened. And then like, it just like, it's like Coraline. You go through the other side, everything seems normal. But over the next, the next like 15 minutes to the one hour mark, you realize the world that they went back to is exceptionally different. Like there are like a weird, a lot of weird stuff has gone on. And Puck shows back up after like not being there when they go through the door to help them to like tells him like oh like this crazy thing happened or something like she makes up some excuse that a good writer could write and like convinces them to travel with her like Vig- like Virgil does in Dante's Inferno or Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream and and leads them on what on what turns out to be this like trippy intense journey through the trials and tribulations of the things that are at the foundation of Florence's and, and, and Grace's and- relationship and so what what I like to imagine is that there are, you know, X number of trials, essentially, yeah. that she puts them through. Nine. And, the nine yeah, rings of hell. Sure. Maybe that would get a little long in the tooth, but we'll see. It's but a anyway, two and a half hour movie. We got an hour and a half to fill, Ben. 
but I like to imagine that essentially in each of the different trials, they either progress together or their relationship breaks down a little bit. Yeah. And I think... so it's really like 50, 50 up until the end. And then I like to imagine the last trial is all of the previous trials brought together and she ultimately does decide to stay with her, you know, and that's when Puck has to freak out, you know, boom, we see that she's a part of the whole gimmick. And then that's when we're off to the third act where they get out. Yeah. And that, and third, a third act starts with the arrival of summer, um, glue, glow, G L A W. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Summer glow shows up is like at the heart of that big, that scene about trust. Like, do they, like, does uh, Garance actually trust Florence again? And has Florence earned that trust from her throughout her actions in the movie? Yeah. And that scene where it's solidified, boom. And it's like, it, it rides out in, like, the last, like, seven minutes of the movie are just, like, a, like, power couple. Like, it's just, like, a celebration of their love. There's no, like, there's, like, this, like, big exhale as the movie ends. And, like, it just yeah. lands on this, like, beautiful kind of, uh, like, call me by your name moment. With, where... with, that, with that said, Florence Pugh has to work her fucking ass off to earn that back. In oh, yeah. In a no. span of two and a half hours. She's going to act like a mother. She's going to have to put on a double Oscar-worthy performance. I think she could. I think she could do it. I agree. Um, but I, have, I haven't seen her. I don't know if she's done a movie where she's, like, the big like heavy romantic lead, but in, in little woman, she does a very good job of being like this kind of desirable, but um, like roguish character. Who's kind of resigned to what's going on. And in midsummer, in midsummer, it's a breakup movie. And she does like the, like, she just wants to be loved in that movie and never gets it. And I think this movie is like, she's gotten love. Now she has to like hold on to it after she fucked up. Well, she has to earn it back. Essentially. All right, uh, I think uh, on that, I think we got the whole movie, right? That's like our general plot. Well, we have have four and a half minutes left, four minutes, 20 seconds. I I feel like we should sort of think of some of the actual trials. I think that's kind of part of it. uh, I'm trying to think of who to direct this, and the two things that come to my mind is either Greta Gerwig, um, Gabriel Del Toro, like kind of like, because he did like the, urban fantasy love story and um uh oh what's that movie called the fish love movie i don't want to just call it that it's such a good movie um the fish love movie yeah he did um the movie with the fish and the lady they fall in love and it's like in like a government facility won oh, a bunch of like oscars the fi- like the fish man she has sex with yeah, it's not yeah the movie's more than that it's a beautiful romance story it's uh it's shape of water yeah shape of water shape i think of water. I think if you Greta Gerwig writes the movie and Gabriel Dottura, uh directs it with her, I think that would be a sweet combination because he can really help bring the experience to pulling off all of the practical try all the practical effects and the way it would be shot. And Greta Gerwig can bring uh, additional perspective, and she's an incredible writer. The writing she did in in Lady Bird, the writing she did in. Uh, little woman were fantastic and i think she would get a if she if she got a big epic like this i think she'd really call to the occasion and i think del toro is good at directing these big movies and i think if they work together as like either producers or co-directors that would be awesome 
Yeah, no, I think this sounds like a really good idea. Uh, what? Let, let's at least get one each. Okay. Um, uh, trial they have to overcome. Okay. We got like two minutes. All right. Uh, give me a second. Um. It, it's hard do... to not be kitschy. Yeah, I know. Them. I'm trying to not be like a piece of sh like I don't want to like say something stupid. Um, I think if we if we center them kind of around Greek myth and Greek stories, um, okay. So in, in Hercules, Hercules one of the tasks he gets he has to like clear out. He has to clean an entire um, stable of like shit and like blood, and like that's like haha, you'll never do it. But he's so strong, he digs a new channel in a river and wash and runs the river through the farm. He's like, I cleaned it, and he's like, you won. I think you can do something where they have to like there's oh yeah they uh if we're keeping it kind of grounded they end up in like let's say like they've always fought around food like there's kind of this like tension they have or like maybe Grenis Millier is a chef like a famous chef and so food and like the organization of their kitchen was always something behind their thing and they end up in this kitchen that is like overflowing with like materials and stuff but like gas grills keep turning on so the room is like increasing in heat and they have to like organize or like find a certain aspect to it and i think that's one of the trials where they work together because uh i guess maybe there's not a lot of trust around uh florence so, in the kitchen and they okay, trust okay her. i can see that here here i got one this yeah, would be a late game one all right it's different I think the idea would be that something would happen to French lady and she would die essentially. It, oh. It's some sort it's some sort of extremely time sensitive thing. Like I'm thinking like stampede or whatever. It probably wouldn't sure. be, but just imagine like a stampede, mm -hmm. she dies. It's like okay, you got like like we got to go in like 10 minutes. Florence mm -hmm. P goes, no, I'm not going anywhere until I, like, bury her and, like, give her, like, a proper burial thing. And so she buries her in the MacGuffin of the movie because we're in a magical world. Yep. Right? It's the magic soil that brings people back to life. <laughs> because, well, well but, but, like, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Is that there are these mythical things where it's, like, if you do love them, yeah. right? I, I like that direction. Four, three, two, one. There we go. We are done. Oh, we didn't name the movie. That's fine. We can no, think of a name now. Okay, yeah, well shit. Okay. Um Uh we don't we don't want to call it Midsummer Night's Dream. Um we don't want to call it Midsummer anything because that was a movie she was right. just in. Um I don't think you I don't think you can't go with something too obvious. Um It's a romance movie, so we gotta kind of have like a yeah. It's gotta be a flowy name, like 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 answering the call. Eh, like parallel love. No, um, just parallel. I I don't think that's a good name for it. It's kind of a parallel world, but it's not about the parallel world. It's about okay, so it's about uh. Dante's Inferno. <laughs> um, what? Um, 
Puck's um, forest. I don't um, <laughs> This is the hardest part. Um, the other trust words are like confidence, certitude, assurance, co- conviction, credence. Uh, credence Clearwater Revival, the movie. Um, Mm, bound by the hands of love. I think bound by love. Not hand. This is a little messy. Bound by love is good. Let me make sure that's not an actual movie. It's a book. We're good. All right. Yeah. We're good. Fuck that book. It, it, it's not well it, reviewed. And it's the sixth book in a series. All right. That's fine. Bound by love, everybody. You heard it Woo. here first. Excellent Matt. film. I, I, I think that's pretty good. So okay, so we we have it. It's starring Florence Pugh, Fiona Duroff, and uh, Garance Mirlier with a uh, big kind of climactic performance by Summer Glue. Glue. Summer Glue. Damn. <laughs> Summer Glau. Summer Glau. It's directed by uh, Gabriel Del Toro and written by um, Greta Gerwig, with both of them executive producing. Um, and it's a two hour, two and a half hour romantic epic, um, mirrored around Greek myth and the stories of like fairies and fantastical characters through kind of the lens of old world England, um, with like a Shakespearean kind of like flair to it for reference. I'd see this movie. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. Oh, I'd, I'd watch the I, hell I would, out of this movie. Well, well, if I knew what it would turn into, then yeah, I'd enjoy it. But it's not—it's not something that I would go out of my way to watch if I didn't know about it. So, which yeah, is good that. though. That's—that's yeah. that's exciting. We're going out of genre. Yeah, the fact that we didn't—we didn't pitch a straight horror movie or a movie about enslaved octopi is a testament to our character. <laughs> it's honestly, Matt. For us, it's that's very impressive. Next week, everyone, we are going to have an in-depth look at one of the best wrestling characters of all time, Bray Wyatt. But until then, Matt is Matt, Ben is Ben, and we will see you next time when the fourth time's the charm. Good night, everybody. Good morning.